Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So quite some time ago, I wanted to go on this adventure of exploring the idea of love. There's a big reason why, because what I found in my life and the culture that I'm living in is that love was not matching up to what I was reading inside of the Bible. There was this huge discrepancy between the two, and this idea of love was so evasive and had so many different definitions, it was just so confusing. Love is defined as a feeling, and youth, love is defined by my relationships, and love of food and impulse control, right? I love food. I love people. I love my dog. I love my mom. What is love? And so we are exploring this idea, and we went through 1 John three sixteen through 18, and I just want to bring that back to us again. Listen to this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So we found that love is sacrifice because Jesus did the ultimate thing. He sacrificed everything. He gave himself up on our behalf. And love is humble. It means putting other people's needs in front of our own. Love really isn't something that can be verbally just spoken. Love has to have an action to it. And so if I say I love, it's going to mean sacrificial, humble love in which I put others in front of myself. So as we continue to look through the definition of love, from the concept of God's definition, we're going to be exploring some amazing things today. There's many characteristics of this type of love, but this is what I found out about my own journey, and maybe you can relate to this as well. I am literally the world's worst lover. I am terrible by it. For so long, I've walked through so many years of my life rarely loving people. I say I love them. I try to love them. But again, when I speak of love, I'm not talking about the feelings that are inside of me. We're talking about this huge concept of sacrificing ourselves and an even bigger concept. Maybe the one that stings the most is that my actions are not matching what I say. Because if love is sacrifice and I'm working hard, I would have a deep pursuing love that would always be putting others in front of my own needs. So as I was exploring this, exploring what does love mean within the scriptures, I started to fall in love, if you will, with this idea that love for God's love is the one that I wanted in my life. Not only do I want to give that away, but I actually started to see that this type of love is the whole that's sitting inside of me, that to be filled with God's love, this sacrificial love, is really the fulfilling part of me as a human who's broken and messed up. And so I started to dream. I started to dream this thought. What would happen if we could look in the eye of people 
and love them simply because God does. Love people no matter what their background is, no matter what their story is, no matter what their political stance is, no matter what side of the tracks they live on, no matter what skin color they are. But we actually start to stop loving the way we think love is, but we start loving the way that God says love is. So this morning, we are going to look at a passage again, but now we're going to look at love through a different angle because love has so many facets to it, the sacrificial love. In John 8, 2 to 11, this is a fascinating and often very actually controversial passage because this is when Jesus is tested on his views and his actions are now are going to be put to the test of love. So if you are following along in your Bibles, your Bible apps, John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11, it says this. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we, and law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were accused, using this question as a trap in order to have a bias for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. But the woman still standing there, and Jesus straightened up. He asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Let's put ourselves inside of this story. Uh, it's early in the morning. It's dawn, right? So you've got that dawn uh, time. Jesus is sitting on the ground and he's teaching to the group of people inside of the temple courts. And in walks the Pharisees dragging this woman in the early morning. This woman probably was found in the act of adultery. Being early morning, perhaps she was found in the home of a married man. She was with a man that night. The morning is here. We don't know exactly what's happening, but we can make some pretty strong assumptions of something that's been going on that was the night before to the morning that we are now in. So she is probably beaten. As she's walking through the crowds and they're yelling at her, they're hitting her and spitting on her and they're tearing the clothes off of her. She would come to this place because this is now a time of Mosaic law or not the law of Moses, not Mosaic us law, Mosaic law of Moses or the Old Testament law. And the Mosaic law made it very clear that anybody caught in the act of adultery was to be killed, was to be stoned. So the accusers bring her into the temple. And for the sake of our culture, just imagine this. Imagine if you sinned and then on a Sunday gathering, we grab you and drag you to the stage and announce to everybody who's sitting here this morning that you had sinned. And in this sin now, we are supposed to all stone you to death. The shame the embarrassment. This woman maybe had her clothes like half hanging off of her. So just the shame of her body being exposed, 
beaten, spit on, ridiculed. She would just be weeping and the same way that you would be here, so ashamed and broken. And here we have this happening in a real-life scenario in their, quote-unquote, worship place or their temple where we worship inside of the church. So here she is dragged through the streets, thrown into a crowd of men, because only men could come to that place to worship at that time in their culture, thrown into a, a crowd of men. And Jesus, sitting there as he's teaching, says, hmm, I wonder what's going on in this story. Because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we see something very different than the culture that we're in. In this temple court where Jesus is teaching to these group of men, that was a New Testament. There was a new cultural thing. In the Old Testament, we see something very different in regards to women and how they were treated. In the time of Jesus, the time of Jesus, women were not regarded well. They were not educated. They were thought of as second or lower class. Men were at the top. Women were just simply a side piece. But in the Old Testament, we see that women were leaders. We see that women had important roles and jobs in the kingdom. We see that women were worshiping in the temples, and we see that women were called upon wisdom. But, but the time of Christ, everything flipped. So culturally now, you're looking at a, a Middle Eastern culture in a Jewish culture that at one time regarded women, now is treating them like absolute street trash. And this woman is being just disregarded to be thrown aside, and they are mocking and breaking the very soul of this woman who is found in a sin. This woman's in dire straits. This woman is at her lowest point. This woman's about to die. And they bring her in to, before Jesus to have him declare her death. Now, Jesus, we know a lot about him. Now we're, we've got the whole story back, right? But imagine this happening culturally within that time. I want you to put yourself in there. It wasn't as hot, the hot heat of the day yet, but the sun is out, it's going to be very warm. The culture in that time, as we know, was uh, very, very dry and dusty. Uh, the land they lived in and the culture, as we spoke about, is that men were the top and women were the bottom. And so we put ourselves in the shouting and the yelling of the crowds, and Jesus is now put on the spot and asked this question. What are you going to do about this? They're putting him to the test. So let's think through this again. Visualize. Put yourself here. Visualize what is happening. Listen to this again. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman has caught an act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us, stone such women. Now what do you say? And they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard go began to go away one at a time, and the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. 
Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So they knew it. Everybody there knew exactly what was supposed to happen according to the Mosaic Law. Though in the Old Testament, women were highly regarded, anybody caught in the act of adultery. So anybody at any time, this was going to be the death by stoning verdict. And so the Mosaic Law, this idea that these laws were given to help them, it sounds very, very harsh in our terminology, but understand that this is a guideline for a simple, a very sinful piece a people group. And this sinful people group, as they are coming together, needs something to direct them. And we have the term, the Ten Commandments. Have you ever heard that before? Which are the, they call them the Big Ten, right? And the Ten Commandments were given, and that's kind of the guideline. And then inside of that, God made all these rules and laws to help govern a people group. Boy, I mean, it doesn't take long to think about our culture, and maybe we could use a few more rules and guidelines in some of the ways that we do things and the things that we allow that are outside of God's way of living. But regardless, their rules and laws were there to help govern them. So this was the tension point. This is the tension point. They all knew the law. And here is where the tension rises. If Jesus endorsed the Mosaic law, his teaching of love and mercy and compassion would be completely questioned. Because he's been telling everybody that God loves them, everybody about grace. He's been teaching this message. So if he has this stoning happen, they'll say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You said that there's love and grace for sinners. You said, Jesus, you came to seek and save the lost. I saw you eat with sinners, hang out with sinners, and you are now saying that this sinner specifically should be stoned. We got a question. I have a question for you, Jesus. Do you really love? So there, again, the huge crowd is all watching this. Secondly, he would be seriously, seriously questioning and challenging the Roman law that says that no Jew can pass or carry out a death sentence. So even though the Jewish law said they could do it, the Roman law said they could not. In the New Testament, the Roman occupancy, the empire occupied Jerusalem. And so you have this tension within scriptures all the time of you see Roman soldiers and Caesars and all these different, you have all these, these things that are happening in there. Uh, all of this is coming through this idea that they are occupied. And so they allowed the Jewish people to function religiously, but they still had to function under the Roman, Roman law. So here the Romans very, very clearly said, no Jew can pass or carry out any death sentence unless we have a conversation about it first. Interesting, uh, if you know the story of Jesus and when he was put to trial, that he was at trial at multiple places, and that's why he was before the Jewish council, he was before the religious leaders, and they sent him over to Rome, and he gets bounced around because nobody wanted to have the verdict for Jesus' death because that was part of the law. So he is in trouble. First, he's in trouble with the Mosaic law. People question does he really love? Secondly, because it is Rome, if he says we should kill her, now he's going to be under a lot of scrutiny from the government, the Roman government. And then on the other hand, if he said this woman should be pardoned, he's not only breaking the Mosaic law, but he'd also be declaring it adultery is okay. 
Oh my goodness, are we in a pickle. Jesus is put in a place where he is now going to be blaspheming. So if he lets her go, adultery is fine, blasphemy. If he says kill her, Rome is now after him. If he says no problem, just go ahead. I mean, all this stuff is just going and swirling at the same time. And all I can say to you is I'm so glad I'm not Jesus for so many reasons. But I, there's no way I would know what to do in that moment. Think about this. Have you ever been in a place where one of your decisions sticks you that in any direction you go, there's going to be trouble? I haven't been in a lot of those situations. I do remember some small ones with no big major outcomes. Like, oh, we just really can't win in any direction. So we'll just pick one and go with what's best. But this is Jesus. And Jesus is the master of teaching. He's the master of everything. But once again, the ultimate teacher. And he does something that the crowd is like, what? what's going on? He stoops down and begins writing on the ground. Lots of conversations about what Jesus wrote. And man, I really wish those details were inside of the scripture because this is just a brain burner. So some believe he was writing out the Ten Commandments. Some believe that he was writing out their sins of the crowd. Can you imagine that? Like while you're sitting here, uh, we say, all right, hey, up on the PowerPoint, let's put John uh, he is a liar, right? So if he starts writing out their sins of the crowd, who knows what he wrote? Nobody knows. It's just all speculation. But whatever it was, was pretty huge. Whatever he does, did made an entire crowd say, we need to get out of here. We need to step away from this. So what we do know is this. As he's writing, people start walking away. And it's interesting, it starts with the older. That, again, details are so important and so precious to us as we read scriptures. The older ones started walking away first. I, I wonder why the older ones did. The ones with life experience? Is it that the ones who are older have, are catching on to the wisdom of Jesus? Because he says to them, those of you who have not sinned, feel free. Let it fly. You can, you can throw your stone right at her. Because since you've never sinned and you've never messed up, it's okay. Now you can go ahead and take her life. And what Jesus does in a mastery of teaching is actually brings a crowd who is pious, a crowd who believes that this woman is street trash beneath them. They take a crowd who is accusing, a crowd who is angry, a mob-like mentality, mentality, not Montana, mentality, a crowd-like mentality around them, and they're all ganging up on her, and he says this. If you have sinned, you are just like her. Think about that for one second. Think of this love. If you have sinned, any sin, you should probably get in the circle too because stones need to be thrown at you. And the older ones start stepping back and they start dropping their stones. They walk away and something clicked inside to say that we, boy, have I sinned. Maybe the older ones think, 
man, I've lived longer and I know all the things I did. I wonder how many people in that crowd, this is just my little side story, were actually living lives of adultery. I wonder how many of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were in an adulterous affair sleeping with women they weren't married with. I wonder how many people in that crowd held some of or maybe the same sexual sin as that woman. And I always think this. I wonder if this woman perhaps was a prostitute. We don't know. We don't know what she was. But let, I just wonder this. How many people in that crowd had been with that woman? But on the outside, they're like, we got to stone her. We got to stick to the rules. We got to stick religious rules. And yet the crowd, they're all getting amped up and the mob is starting. And Jesus says, all right, if you haven't sinned, go for it. But if you have sinned, now he doesn't say this, but they caught it, right? If you've sinned, you're in the center with her. So the crowd starts pulling back. And this is what's so amazing about this. As they step back, what would it feel like to be the woman whose life was just saved? You were on the brink of death. Just think, you're the spitting, the, the beating, the tearing of the clothes, the shame, the guilt, the brokenness. All of this is wrapped up into a big thing, and you are now going to die. And so as she's on a heap on the ground just weeping and knowing that stones are going to be flying at her head, then that she is going to be murdered right there in the temple court. All, every, all these men are gone. They're all stepping back. The crowd is empty, and she looks up, and they're gone. They're gone. How would you feel if somebody loved you that much? You know, one of the hardest things for me is in my ministry time is for people to not understand that God is loved. So many people, and us, right? We have moments, but we think God is rules. We think God is angry. We think God is almost, if we say the word, hateful. That God loves this group, but not that group. That God loves people who get it all right, but he doesn't love sinners. We explored that. But I want to keep this thought process rolling inside of our minds to understand the beauty of this. This woman deserved death. This woman, by her crimes, had done a heinous crime, but she was spared. And she was loved by somebody who shouldn't have loved her. Guys, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of God's love for us. He isn't an angry, vengeful, law-giving, don't have one, live this way because this life's going to totally be worse than if you follow me. It isn't that part of it. It is love-driven because there's better for us. And for this woman... Her life was broken because of her choices, but the crowd was broken because of their choices. And all of you are broken because of your sin as well. So we, all of us here, are in the middle of the crowd as well. We are the ones holding stones, but each one of us should be stepping to the center of the circle. And that, my friends, is the beauty of the gospel, is that Jesus loved us so much, and he loves the unloving.
Studying this passage has changed my life. Studying this passage and the way I look at people transforms and has transformed the way I view humanity. It changes the way I think about in and out, who's good and who's bad. I just see a whole new way of God is love. He loves everybody. He is not pointing fingers. He's pointing their finger to God and saying there's better. He's not saying you're condemned. He's saying this, dear friends, stop sinning because God's way is better. Totally different way of seeing God. And so now when I see people, I don't see a laundry list of how terrible they are and all their bad marks and all their bad things because Jesus shows love. And so in my life now, no matter where your story is, and maybe you've experienced this with me, if you know me and some of my friends who've experienced, I'm not here to tell you how terrible a person you are. I'm here to walk with you to show you the beauty of God's forgiveness. Because if you're in the center of the circle, then I'm in the center of the circle. We're there together. This changed my life. Because now, if I'm as a disciple in the year 2022, I now have to live like him and I get to love like him. Man, it just takes the pressure off. And depending on your religious background, maybe you came from a place where you were Bible beaten, we'll say, right? They're just slapping on like, you're terrible. Every Sunday you walk away feeling more guilty of your terribleness. Or maybe you came from a religious background in which you could do anything. Nothing matters. Like live how you want, doesn't really matter. But come on Sunday, ask for forgiveness, and then go live your life any way that you want. Those two extremes are not Jesus. What Jesus says, here's the truth, and I'm going to blend that with grace. And Jesus is the perfect blending of grace and truth at the same time. Because what is true, this woman is making a terrible mess of her life. She is sinning. It is breaking her down because we were made in God's image to be image bearers. And so there's truth there that she's, she's got to stop sinning. It's going to kill you. But the grace says this, I know that you're broken, but I forgive you. Even though you should die, I'm going to offer you life. And friends, that is the gospel that we cling to so much. Listen to this verse, Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. God's love is just so full of mercy. It's so full of grace. But what exactly does that mean? What does it mean when all this is happening that Jesus didn't condemn the woman even though she was caught in this sin. This is a quote by Paul Zoll. Grace is unconditional love towards a person who does not deserve it. Let me say that again. Grace is unconditional love toward a person who does not deserve it. Unconditional love when a person doesn't deserve it. Let me move this around a bit for you because I'm going to play with this, right? Grace is unconditional love for you when you don't deserve it. Grace is unconditional love for that person who hurt you when they don't deserve it. Grace that's given to us is now grace that goes out. Uh, Justin Holcomb in his article, What is Grace? says it perfectly. 
Unfortunately, grace is most needed and best understood in the midst of sin, suffering, and brokenness. This conflict is that we live in a world of earning and deserving. These result in judgment. That is why everyone wants and needs grace. Judgment kills. Only grace makes us alive. A shorthand for what grace is. It is mercy, not merit. Mercy, not merit. Just think about this. Uh, If you think of the idea of judgment, what I'm earning and what I'm deserving, and grace is the other side as I'm getting mercy and not the merit. Grace is the opposite of karma. Everyone says, oh, we got good karma. Oh, karma, 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 which is a total misconception. It's a false religion and not a term we should even think or use because that's not God. What God is, is that what we deserve, we don't get. That's grace. And in God's kingdom, grace rules the universe, not this man-made idea that we say as karma. So what does it look like as we embrace this love and this grace and as it overflows into all of our lives and becomes part of the DNA of who we are? What does this mean? Friends, we are in the middle of the circle. You were drug in, through the crowds, placed in the middle, and you are the one ready to die. And you, because of what you have done, and I have done, and we have done, we have broken God's law. We are guilty. We are in the center. We're surrounded by people. This should be the end of us. Mosaic Church, we are all huddled together, and this is the end. There's groups all around us with stones, big, heavy stones to crush our bones and to end our life. But this is not going to happen because of grace. If you were given grace of this merit, how in the world can you not give grace to others who have hurt you? If grace is given to you for all the junk that you've done in your life, the laundry list of all of our sins, How in the world, friend, if you're struggling, listen to this. How in the world can you not give grace to that person who's hurt you, sinned against you, maybe even tried to destroy you? How can we not hand out grace? And here, I believe, is our tension. We hold back grace because we forget. I, I, we just, we forget. We forget and we put ourselves on the outside of the circle, like the crowd and the mob that was there. We forget because we forget and we want to forget and we want to ignore all the sin that we bring into the story. We forget because grace covers it when we don't ask. We forget Because we sometimes believe that, oh, it's no big deal. I'm going to be forgiven by God anyways. Sometimes we forget because we move too far away from God's story. We forget for a whole list of reasons. This morning, I'm asking you to remember. I want you to remember this grace in your life. And I'm sure as I've been speaking, things are popping in your head. 
Maybe it was this morning, something you said. Maybe it was last night, a choice that you made. Maybe it was last month. Maybe it was in your job. Maybe it was inside of your own home. Maybe it, uh, squirm a little bit, is a relationship you're having that isn't with someone you're supposed to. No matter where you are, hear this story. We're all in the center. And it's terrifying. The beauty is grace. And grace puts us at a place of absolute adoration and worship of our God. I'm often asked people, or asked by people who are outside of our style of worship. You know, our worship, there's so much, you know, celebration. Some people raise their hands and some people cry and some people clap and some people like repeat, we repeat lyrics sometimes. And, you know, we have a whole, like our style of worship. If you haven't been in this style or you're new to this or, you know, different for you, you know, why is there so much emotion involved with our style? And we're not the only style, right? The, this this uh, evangelical style of, of, of worship and how we do things. It's simply this. Of In our faith walk, we embrace grace so much that all we can do is give adoration back. When you embrace the sins you're forgiven of, not pretend like they don't exist. Embrace and put grace over the top of it. The freedom that you feel is the same freedom that we feel. Like the, the woman who is in the center, whose life has been saved. That is why we sing. That is why we raise hands. That is why sometimes we weep. Is because when we're reflecting on a song, we're reflecting our life to God's beauty, God's mercy, God's character, to God's salvation, to God's grace, to God's truth. All of that gets wrapped up into this idea that all I can do is give adoration and worship back to a God who's forgiven me of so unbelievable much. If you come from a faith walk, maybe a, a, some sort of time in your life where it just felt like a bunch of rules and weight on you and you have to try to be a good person and you just, I don't match up and so you always feel guilty you don't understand the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ that says there's nothing you can do to earn his, this beauty. There's nothing you can do to earn God's grace. It's a free gift given to you like we just wrote, read about in Ephesians. Grace is completely free because Jesus has done all the work. So I want our time here as we wrap up to visualize something. I want to just, if you would, close your eyes for me. I know it's probably kind of weird if you're watching on a video or listening to our podcast, but just humor me, if you will. Close your eyes. And as you're there, I want to visual, you visualize yourself right now in the outside of the circle. Visualize, and if you want to do the hand motion of holding a large stone. These weren't pebbles, friends. These were big stones. Visualize this stone. And listen as the people are yelling and dragging this woman who is wailing through the crowd as you stand here and the crowd is getting louder and the stone is in your hand. You're listening to this Jesus teaching, but then this woman comes in and the question was asked, what do we do with this woman? And the stone is in your hand, but you've got a side of the story that's different from the rest. You know grace. You know Jesus. 
Now, as you hold this stone, listen to this verse once again. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Grace says you're forgiven. Truth says leave your life of sin. Friends, drop your stones. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.